Good morning, friends, Dharma friends. Let's see, I wonder if um, while I'm talking, I could have some help. I need a a, um, volunteer from the studio audience. (laughs) Okay, please, one person, please come up. And um, here's a tray. And on this tray, there are three groups of things. There are some sutras, some um, red, pink, and white peanut M&Ms, and some flowers. And although the peanut M&Ms are, um, I was hoping to save them for the children later. Um, So maybe limit yourself on the peanut M&Ms and save (laughs) some. Um, Please um, take something. um, And what's your name? Karen's going to help so that everybody doesn't have to move. And you can take something from the tray. And if you take a peanut M&M, even though you're not supposed to, (laughs) please save it. Don't eat it. Okay? Would you? So just go around and and, uh, let everybody take something. And it can be fairly fast. You don't have to think about what you're taking too much. So uh, I was thinking about, on the drive here, I was thinking about what's the point of giving a Dharma talk or listening to a Dharma talk for me. And... For me, the most important thing is that I want you to be happy. I really sincerely want you to be happy. And I want you to be able to have all the equipment you need to understand the truth at all the different levels of the truth and to be completely fulfilled in your life. I want you to be able to be physically comfortable and have the food and nourishment that you need. And I I would like it if you could be happy and contented in your life and get good sleep and enough exercise and a job that um, you actually enjoy doing and that benefits yourself and your loved ones. And even if you don't have all of those things, I would like for them to come to you as you need them and for you to be able to be happy with what you have and to be able to practice with that. That's important to me, and that's my motivation for speaking to you today. 
Um, today's topic is sympathetic joy, mudita. And uh, this was chosen for me by the children. And um, in the Abhidhamma teachings, we find out that mudita comes from a word, a root, that means to be pleased. And that what gets in the way of our experiencing mudita is jealousy. And that the near enemy of mudita is exultation. For example, if I get something and somebody else doesn't have it. And the main feature of mudita is that if someone else gets something or has some prosperity or some happiness, that we're happy. And uh, that we renounce or discard our dislike, our resentment, and jealousy. And basically, all around mudita is the attitude that we have when we say, sincerely, congratulations. And so uh, mudita is a little bit more complicated than maitri or karuna, than friendliness or compassion. Why is this so? I think in the real world we've all experienced friendliness. Friendliness is just the basic attitude of love and goodwill. You know, some people it's easy to be friendly with. Some people it's hard to be friendly with. But we basically try. And um, karuna, compassion, in its raw state, um, it's a feeling of um, sympathy and fellow feeling with someone who is less fortunate than ourselves. But sympathetic joy is a feeling of sympathy or fellow feeling or congratulations or pleasure with someone who is more fortunate than ourselves. And so it's a little bit more emotionally complicated than friendliness or compassion. And it's moving up to the great big emotional uh, emotionally difficult attitude of equanimity, uh, which is very important for practice. So an example of sympathetic joy is um, how many people here are parents? Okay, there's lots of parents here. But uh, when a parent sees a child's first steps, or here's a child's first words. You don't begrudge the child those first steps or those first words, do you? I, I want to hear it from a parent. <laughs> no, you don't. Absolutely not. What do you do instead? Um, clap. clap. What else? Laugh. Laugh. Encourage. Encourage. Yeah, come on. You're doing it. You're doing it. To rejoice, yeah, come to mommy. 
You know, this is this is the sort of attitude that we have. Or uh, how many people in this room have ever taught or trained someone to do something? Okay. And when they begin to get it, that feeling. So, um, you know, when, especially if it's been hard to teach or train someone to do something, like to uh, train, what are the, uh, teaching someone to drive. And, you know, those horrible moments at the beginning. And then finally, they're driving the car in a straight line. You get, that's it! <laughs> You're driving in a straight line. That's it. And then that encourages them to do more. Uh, ha- have you heard the statistic that children who are appreciated by their teachers are smarter? To some large extent, they're uh, they're demonst- demonstrably uh, more intelligent than children who are unappreciated. And so, um, mudita is very important for the world because people who we rejoice in will be demonstratively more skilled than people we don't. Does that make sense to you? And um, mudita is very, very happy, uh, very uh, and easy. It comes very naturally if we feel neutral about um, the person who we're experiencing it towards. For instance, how many people have ever been to a town or country that wasn't one's own and in which one could find some pleasure? Okay, so this is a beautiful place. Look at these maple trees that these people have. Look at this way of being that these people have. Isn't that great? And uh, so if one feels neutral or mildly friendly towards a place or people one doesn't know, it's easy to experience that feeling of appreciation, deep appreciation. And um, so in a religious sense, we practice mudita in particular situations. For instance, if we um, chant something and then dedicate the merit of that chanting to all beings. Or there's a Native American ceremony on, on the installation of a new chief during which everybody gives everything away to everyone else. And that's, um, that's an important ceremony. And, to, and doing this kind of ceremony, expressing appreciation in this way from one's heart, uh, to do it, one has to have trust in the world, trust in what's around him or her. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, uh, would you like one? Yeah. Okay. Okay, because I get everything that's left. <laughs> okay. So um, now, give that to the person next to you. Exchange. If you have... Okay. Exchange. 
Okay? Who ended up with nothing? <laughs> okay? And now give that to the person next to you. Exchange. Okay? Okay? If you couldn't, it's okay. But you, you felt there was a lightness to that. Right? And you get what came to you by accident, almost by accident. And yet there's some appreciation and sense of contentment in um, what you received. Now, uh, there may not be, (laughs) right? You might have wanted that M&M. As a matter of fact, would everybody who received M&Ms and who isn't allergic to nuts, um, please eat your (laughs) M&M. And the rest of us, let's do our best to appreciate that. (laughs) This is an important spiritual exercise. I know it seems dumb in a way. You know? And you may want to give this to someone, um, what you just received. You may want to give it to them at some other time. But this is an important spiritual exercise of allowing yourself to be happy and have your heart open to the benefit of someone else. You picked that thing for yourself and then you got something else, right? And the person you um, gave it to didn't even get it, but someone else did. You know, that, that's emotionally pretty complicated. Dogen Zenji, the founder of uh, my school in Japan, said, foolish people think that if they help other first, their own benefit will be lost. But this is not so. Beneficial action is the act of benefiting oneself and others together. If you have this mind, even beneficial action for the sake of grasses, trees, wind, and water is spontaneous and unremitting. So, um, as, we can t- as we can tell, even just from this tiny little exercise, uh, mudita is a social emotion, right? It relates to other people. And um, it keeps, um, it builds social as well as individual health. For instance, if we're in the practice of rejoicing, and congratulation, uh, congratulating, other people will catch that from us. And it builds a kind of a health for everyone. And for us, if we practice mudita, it keeps our own mind in a state of well-being. It keeps our own mind serene and pure. And it allows the consciousness to diffuse calmly like a lake. Now, uh, this last 
topic, uh, how consciousness could diffuse calmly with um, mudita, is important. Because mudita is a meditative discipline as well as an emotion. Uh, It's one of the immeasurables. And it has been expounded by the Buddha and by the ancestors as a method of healing people. And the ills that it heals are um, narrowness, selfishness, and unhappiness. So could you please close your eyes? I want to do a reality check. If um, uh, I'll keep my eyes open, but I won't divulge anything that I see. Okay. Um, how many people in this room have ever felt themselves to be narrow, selfish, or unhappy? Okay. It's virtually unanimous. You can put your hand down. <laughs> So it's virtually unanimous. And what I would say is that the people in this room are truthful. Uh, Truthfulness is necessary for practice. So that ill, that obstacle, can be healed through the practice of mudita. And the act of cultivating mudita is the act of cultivating concentration and particularly shamatha, uh, the, the art of being settled. To be settled, one has to be able to be contented with few things and satisfied with one's own practice. One has to feel an absence of threat. Okay? Now, what are some of the ways that we experience threat? Well, it's, uh, threat is experienced when there's a danger to one's own health, but also when um, other people get things that one would want. And in those situations, resentment and jealousy very naturally arise, and the mind narrows down to I, me, and mine. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> So um, that's a very undernourishing situation. And so practicing appreciation in a situation like that provides a kind of nourishment for the mind, a kind of nourishment that we sorely need. If you look around this room, you will see that There is not one person in this room who is actually starving right now. There is not one person in this room who doesn't have clothing. Everyone in this room is clothed. And everyone in this room shows some signs of care and nurture. I've just looked. that uh, You look as... You have slept at least once in your life. (laughs) You have eaten. You have had shelter. And when I look at the eyes of the people in this room, I don't see so many 
although maybe there's an exception or two I don't notice. Uh, I don't see so many panicky eyes, like there's something in this room that will hurt me or kill me today. Okay? So everyone in this room has the prerequisites for practice because that's all we need. The thing that's missing is contentment and satisfaction, an ability to be contented and allow ourselves to focus on the task at hand, which is our intention, and to let go of other things that aren't part of the task at hand. So the practice of sympathetic joy is one of the cornerstones of being able to feel contented and satisfied. The first fruit, and and it provides a, a nourishment of one's own mind, a mastery of one's own mind. And... Um, You know, the stream of the Anushayas, the stream of our latent uh, destructive tendencies, is has a strong current and a flow to it. And when we start to practice, it is as if we stood still in the midst of that strong flow of our own tendencies and the uh, karma of the world. We just stand still. Then we can feel them with a much greater force. And as practitioners, it is our job not only to stand still, but actually to turn around and face that flow of the latent tendencies. The latent tendencies are like a current. And to take a step up the stream into renunciation. And that step into renunciation we call letting go. So if you imagine something that you really want and imagine someone else receiving that instead of you, the act of cultivating happiness on that occasion is the act of taking a single step upstream. The next moment you forget. You aren't happy anymore. You're jealous. (laughs) Take another step upstream. Follow that stream to the source. And at the source of the stream, we call the source of the stream, when one is sitting, has followed the stream to the source, we call that concentration. And in that concentration, we can sit and watch the stream as it bubbles up from the ground. And we're very still in that state. And how that stream bubbles up from the ground is wisdom. It's not the fact of the stream bubbling up from the ground and our going downstream with it. It's that we notice how the stream bubbles up and the direction that that flows. That's called wisdom or experience on the path. And those teachings that come from that, when you talk about that experience, that's called teachings, and that's what Buddha did. 
The Buddha is the person who has seen all the streams and their flows in all possible ways, has followed all the streams up to the source and down to the sea, and can do that all at the same time. And that's the activity of a Buddha. We may not be Buddhas just now. But skill in understanding how to go to the source and how to go to the ocean, those are the uh, skills that as a bodhisattva, a being of awakening, we, uh, we, it's our task to cultivate those. So the first fruit of the cultivation of sympathetic joy is the destruction of the Anushayas. Um, the, um, yeah, Anushayas, the, the um, latent tendencies to destructive mental uh, and uh, uh, verbal and physical ways of acting. Okay. So it cuts off the bonds, uh, the, the current that holds those def- uh, defilements in place that keeps them flowing, cuts off that current at the source. One feels free. The quality of freedom arises like taking off restrictive clothing at the end of the day. Like I used to work downtown and I had to wear pantyhose. Okay? Uh, Guys, you have never had this experience. (laughs) Or mostly have never had this experience. (laughs) But let me tell you that when you take off those pantyhose at the end of the day, that is pleasure. That is freedom. <laughs> I'm sure you have a, ties. Ties. Ties are like this, too. I mean, I see those poor guys downtown with their ties, uh, cutting off the breathing at the throat. And I imagine now what that must be like to take that tie off, to loosen that tie. I can relax now. I can... You know, take that jacket off, take that tie off, and just be present with you. And another fruit is that the good dharmas and the support for practice come towards one from all directions. Because one realizes that that feeling of jealousy itself, the twinge of jealousy, is a teacher. The twinge when someone gets something that one doesn't have is a teacher. It's showing us our own narrowness. And uh, right view, you know, in the Noble Eightfold Path, right view is cultivated by sympathetic joy. So the renunciation of I, me, mine itself is right view because one doesn't hold to self. The craving for this and that that someone else has. The... um, the narrowness of obsession are all dropped through the practice of sympathetic joy. So, um, just one more small thing and then some questions. Uh, I would just like to say that the Buddha um, taught um, the motivation for the practice of sympathetic joy on his very first teaching in the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, 
the first sermon of the Buddha, the first turning of the wheel. Um, He said, um, Bhikkhus, these two extremes ought not to be practiced by one who has gone forth from the household life. What are the two? There is devotion to the indulgence of sense pleasures, which is low, common, the way of ordinary people, unworthy and unprofitable. And there is devotion to self-mortification, which is painful, unworthy, and unprofitable. So the two extremes are indulgence and mortification or extreme asceticism. And sympathetic joy allows us to practice the middle way between mortification and indulgence. Okay? So um, that's my presentation. And if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. I I do want to say I'm not um, the world's expert in sympathetic joy. I'm just, I hope that I could be a conduit for the teachings and the practice. But I'm not at all perfect in this myself. I can give you many examples, but I'll save that. Okay? So, any questions? Comments? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, once I was in possession of it, <laughs> it became mine. That's right. <laughs> and uh, when we exchanged it, there was this little part in me that said, oh, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I bow to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, then as I got the, the new one, I thought, oh, that's a little bit, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then you said the exchange again, and it was easier. But there was still that little piece in me that was saying, that's mine. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. The, okay, that's an insight to notice. Uh First of all, the stability comes from being in a safe place and knowing that these are things that don't really matter. I've seen this before. But the um, direct experience of that unwholesome emotion and where it comes from and the conditions under which it arises, um, you can't experience it Um, if there isn't a tiny hint of renunciation going on. Otherwise, you'd just be caught up in it. Okay? So that's a tiny little moment of insight. Is that then getting at the root? That's showing you the direction of the root. That's right. Because in your meditation, this is why we have this whole path called vipassana. I'm safe about talking about Vipassana because I practice Zazen. But actually Zazen, uh, the the yogic name for Zazen is Shamatha Vipassana, the union of Shamatha and Vipassana. So I'm not really safe. Okay? So the practice of Vipassana 
is to become so completely settled that you can notice these things um, closer and closer to the source. You can tell the difference between um, jealousy, hatred, envy, greed, uh, narrowness, and so on, and non-jealousy, non-greed, non-hatred, non-resentment, and so on. Um, So it's not that you've gone to the source in this kind of everyday conventional exchange, but it showed you the direction of the source. The direction of the source is facing the pain of renunciation. Did you notice that as you had, as you repeated the experience, you were able to find out more about it because of your concentration? That's right. Which is kind of in, in more of a psychological sense. That's what Maslow talks about in terms of a hierarchy of needs, that we got these sort of basic needs. And then after we've satisfied them, we might move on to more social needs and creative needs and ultimately spiritual needs. And I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I'd like to say is that it's a little hard, harder to practice if you're starving. That's the kind of the graduate course. <laughs> but... That's right, and we should respect those people because they're practicing something that's hard. Everybody has, we all have our own difficulties. It's very hard to practice appreciation, but something that I didn't get into about uh, sympathetic joy is that it's practice in the midst of privilege. We're very privileged, okay? But every human being is privileged. For instance, on your deathbed, you will not be privileged with coordination that you have now. And um, other people will. But if you're sitting there or lying there saying, I wish I could move, you won't be able to do your work. Okay? Um, There was one person I helped who died who, um, at the moment of death, his eyes opened up wide. He was so surprised. The moment before his death, he had been um, kind of cursing the people who got away with something from him. The moment of his death, his eyes opened up wide. He was so surprised. You know? Uh, So the moment before his death, he was um, jealous of the people who got things, jealous of his own 
stuff. The moment of his death, it didn't matter. And just in that way, it doesn't matter what the moment, what the momentary discomfort is. Of course, we can practice in the midst of that. As a matter of fact, sometimes if you've eaten less, it's easier to practice. Really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and, you know, if you look at what bandwidth is spent on most of the time, is the honey. Mm-hmm. And so I like this idea of the sympathetic joy because if each one of us helps the other be more joyful mm-hmm. and celebrate what we do have, which is so much. That's right. That's right. I mean, and uh, sometimes it would uh, it would require an enormous cultural shift. I mean, think about any magazine you've recently read. Okay. Now, um, most of the magazine is not stuff that you read, right? Most of the magazine is ads. We don't even notice them. But the ads show people with uh, cars and uh, beauty and food and you know, all this stuff, right? And they're not meant to evoke in you the the thought, oh, that person is so beautiful, I'm glad for them. (laughs) That's That's not what we encourage ourselves to do. It's more like, um, you know, there's that, uh, there's that incredibly, um, beautiful woman holding up a can of beer. Um, you know, uh, if I hold up that beer, either I'll be beautiful or I'll get a beautiful woman like that. Or I'll get the beer and the woman, or <laughs> I'll be beautiful and have the beer, right? Or the car, or the, or whatever it is. Yeah. And if I don't have that beer, I won't be beautiful. If I don't have that car, or that makeup, or whatever, I won't be beautiful. This is something one goes through when one shaves one's head. Right? Um, the moment of shaving my head, uh, let's see, Blanche, uh, who I think spoke here recently, right? And Catherine Thanis, who's the abbess of uh, Santa Cruz Zen Center. Blanche is the outgoing abbess, just finished as abbess of San Francisco Zen Center. So they shaved my head. I don't know what Gil was thinking as the guys shaved his head. But I was sitting in the bathroom. I was cold. I had a sheet around me, and these women were shaving my head. And as the razor hit my head, my first thought was, that's too short! (laughs) You know, all the terrible experiences I have ever had in any beauty parlor (laughs) before then came, you know, and look at the context. I was getting my head shaved for ordination. This is uh, 21 years ago, and I have a visceral memory of it, you know? And, you know, I won't be beautiful. You know, I won't be liked. People with hair are beautiful, and they're liked. You know, all that stuff. So it's very, very deeply ingrained, you know? 
and that culture of complaint. You're right. We have one more minute. Thank you. And I also want to ask you, did anybody mind leaving the M&Ms for the children? <laughs> One person? <laughs> I, don't, I think you're being honest. I think other people may have... I said that on purpose. Those M&Ms are for the children. You know? That wasn't an accident. They are for the children. And if they're for children or Buddha, generally our feelings of hatred aren't as bad as if they're for the person next to us. And that's, <laughs> that's the practice of sympathetic joy. Okay. Thank you very much.